So we're in Isaiah chapter 2. And um, I'm actually going to be speaking on this later today in another meeting. And I'll probably get into this, I'll probably get into it, well, I will go into it a little bit deeper in that meeting uh, in, in sort of a certain direction. But I, I do intend to talk about this um, because it's on my heart to do so. What's on my heart today is the mountain of the Lord's house. Okay? And um, mountains. And I don't know if you remember the Alexander brothers, these are my mountains. And this is my glen. You know, when I was a wee boy, my dad took me to see the Alexander brothers umpteen times because I kept asking them to take me. Um, so I didn't obviously have a great deal of music taste as a wee boy. But no, praise the Lord. And um, anyway, let's just read Isaiah chapter 2, verse 1. The word that Isaiah, the son of Amos, saw concerning Judah and Jerusalem. Okay? And let's look at this here. It says, now it shall come to pass. Don't you know when God says it will come to pass, it will come to pass. Amen? It's, you, you can take it to the bank. Because if God says it will come to pass, it will come to pass. And that's a great lesson for us to learn. It will come to pass, it shall come to pass in the latter days. Are we in the latter days, folks? Isn't it good to know that when we read scripture, that there are things yet to be fulfilled? Some things, some prophetic words are filled in a partial manner. Okay? And I believe this has probably been fulfilled in a very partial manner, but the more we press on in the latter days, it's, it's the latter of the latter of the latter days, if you understand. We get nearer uh, the end times. And this says in the latter days, and I believe we're in the latter days, that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains and shall be exalted above the hills and all nations shall flow to it. Now, let me just say this. If you listen to a lot of Bible teachers, I don't know what Bible they're reading. And that's me being a wee bit controversial. But the, the Bible they're reading has us all uh, in a prison planet, ruled by the Antichrist, dominated by demonic forces, and sitting with our bags packed ready for Jesus to take us home. Amen? The end times is the time where the Antichrist rules supreme in their teaching. But in my Bible, the latter days is when the mountain of the Lord's house is established and exalted and all nations shall flow. Oh, the nations, they'll fall under the sway of the dark prince himself. Not in my Bible, folks. If you've got a new King James or a King James or frankly any other Bible, it'll say what it says here. All nations shall flow to the mountain of the Lord's house. And you know, I like and I agree with and, you know, we emphasize it at Bible college. We emphasize, I emphasize it in my teaching. Go ye into all the world. And go and disciple nations. In other words, that word go, go. Get out there and spread the message. But folks, in the latter days, the flow is towards the Lord's house. Amen? Oh, you can't expect them all to come into church. We've got to go out there in those streets with our megaphones and our tracks and our Bible teaching. Folks, I've done that and I agree with that and I believe we should always be doing that because the Bible says go. But in the latter days, the flow is towards the Lord's house. All you have to do is turn up, put the lights on, get your pot of tea because they're coming. We've been emphasizing this in the gathering for many months now, the nations shall come, kings shall come, sons and daughters shall come, 
the wealth of a nation shall come. The flow is towards the house of the Lord. Amen? Can you say amen to that? Because that's what the Bible says. The mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on top of the mountains. One of the things I teach at Bible College um, is what I call seven mountains penetration. A little bit of story here. Bill Bright, who was, oh, I don't remember the name of the and Lauren Cunningham, the two, Lauren Cunningham was YWAM. And the two of them had never met, this is back in the 70s, I believe, and they were heading big, big missions, big, big, you know, Youth with a Mission, and it Campus Crusade or something, Bill Bright led. And so they had thousands of people in their organizations, uh, and it was all about evangelism. Wonderful ministries, great men of God. And the two of them had never met, and they decided one day to have, I think it was lunch together. And what happened was that the night before, both of them had a visitation from the Lord, and the Lord gave them a download, a revelation of what, what's now known as the Seven Mountains vision. And the Lord showed both of them. Both of them were shocked by it. And they met and they said, guess what the Lord showed me? And I'll tell you what he showed me. The same vision. That there are seven mountains of culture. Let me explain mountain to you just for a minute. Mountain in scripture doesn't mean Ben Nevis. Okay? It can mean a literal mountain. Of course it can. Um, but mountains in scripture are symbolic or metaphoric, or metaphor, should I say, of powers, kingdoms, nations. For example, um, the EU is a mountain. The European Union is a mountain. Britain is a mountain. France is a mountain. But then you've got Facebook and other things that are mountains. In other words, places or institutions where power is congregated and many people are part of it, if that makes sense. Okay? So a mountain is a kingdom or a nation. So the Bible speaks about Mount Seir, which is Mount, which is Edom, okay, in scripture. Mount Zion, which is representative of Israel. And so you've got these different mounts and mountains. And so what it means is when it says here that the mountain of the Lord's house, which we would call church or ecclesia, or God's kingdom shall be established on the top of the mountains. What he's saying is there are mountains, kingdoms, nations, powers, empires in the earth. But in the last days, the Lord's house, will, the mountain of the Lord's house will be established on top of all the others. So Bill Bright and Lauren Cunningham, they met and they had this seven mountain. God told them, you must raise and equip people to penetrate the seven mountains of culture, education, the arts, um, government, business, you know, the seven mountains. And some people have different seven mountains. And a major teacher of the seven mountain uh, vision today is a guy called Lance Walnow. Some of you may have heard of him, saw him on YouTube and, and God TV and stuff. And there's other guys like Johnny Enlow and, and people like that. And I think Bill Johnson refers to seven mountains. And seven mountain penetration is one of the things I teach at Bible college, which is you don't have to be a pastor to serve God. You don't have to be what we would call a pulpit preacher to serve God. You can be in your job, your profession, um, your vocation, if you like, and be in, for example, say you're a, a teacher and you're in the education mountain, then you can serve God there. And penetrate that almost like a secret agent. You're in there representing God and being salt there and being leavened there. Does that make sense? So um, that's the, the seven mountains. Now, what he's saying here is, in the latter days, are we in the latter days? The mountain of the Lord's house, which we would maybe call church, ecclesia, uh, the kingdom of God, is going to be established on the top of the other mountains. And all, and exalted above the hills. The hills, of course, is just what he's saying is there's, there are mountains and there are hills. 
I would put it this way to you, right? The mountain that is the UK. And there are hills in it. For example, Glasgow City Council is a hill. Does that make sense? It's not a mountain, but it's a hill. So what he's saying is God's ecclesia is going to be established on top of all of it. At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. This is going to be the fulfillment of it, folks. And the Bible's talking about this in the last days. So if your last days uh, worldview, your eschatology is defeatism, then the Bible has got bad news for you because the Bible's eschatology is victory. Victory. Blessed, blood-bought victory. Victory all the time. And all nations shall flow to it. All nations. Not some. All nations. See, I would rather read this and meditate this and have this as my end-time worldview as the defeatism that many, oh, the late great planet Earth. Satan is alive and well on planet Earth. No, Satan is a renegade outlaw who knows his time is short on planet Earth. Look what it says. Many people shall come. Many people shall come. Many people shall come. You know, people say, oh, they're no interested in the gospel in, in this city. Folks, many people shall come, the Bible says. Jesus says, you're saying it's four months to the harvest. But I'm saying to you, look right now, the fields are ripe for harvest. See, we don't see as God sees. Uh, we don't see enough. Because we listen to gloom and doom merchants and naysayers and people who know better. We listen to unbelief and doubt and failure and misery from, from people. But we should be listening to God's word. All nations shall flow. Many people shall come. Can you say today, many people shall come to this church? Many people shall come to my church, wherever you church. Many people shall come to the gathering. Many people shall come to the kingdom. Many people shall come to the, to, to the kingdom of God. Because that's what the Bible says, folks. I'd rather go with what the Bible says than what man says. Many people shall come and say, come. See, it's all about come. Now, I know the Bible says go. But in the latter days, it says come. So all we have to do is open the doors and say, come. Many people are coming, Lord. Amen. And I want to tell you what will happen when you keep saying it and keep saying it. Many people shall come. And they'll say, come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. Come and let us go up to the mountain of the Lord. And look what they're going to say. To the house of the God of Jacob. He will teach us his ways and we shall walk in his paths. You see, we're, oh, they don't, they don't care about the gospel. They don't know or want to know the ways of God. Well, the Bible says different folks. You see, it's that old thing about there's a God-shaped vacuum in every heart. They don't know that it's God they're seeking. So it's our job to tell them the thing that you seek is the Lord himself. Amen? The wisdom that you're looking for to live life is in this book. And the person that you need to change your life is the Lord Jesus. It says, For out of Zion shall go forth the law and the word of the Lord from Jerusalem. Zion is another metaphor in a sense. Zion is the mountain of the Lord's house. It's speaking about God's kingdom. It's speaking about the place where God's presence is. It's speaking about the place where God's people are. Folks, it's speaking about you and I. We're God's Zion in the earth. We're where it's all happening. We're where the Spirit of God is dwelling. Not just in us as individuals, but with us corporately. Amen? Don't go to a church where the Spirit of the Lord is not tangible and present corporately. 
Amen. Because a lot of churches are, are ickable. The glory has departed. Now, look what he says here. He shall judge between the nations and rebuke many people. You know, that sounds quite harsh. But let me just say this. The nations need judged and a lot of folk need rebuked. If there was a whole lot more rebuking going on, there'd be a whole lot less strife and trouble going on. Look at this business that's going on over in Ukraine right now. Okay? Now, these folks could take us to nuclear war, not just the brink, but right into nuclear war. In the natural, without the intervention of God and the supernatural protection of God. We could end up in a hot war any, any time now. It just takes one mistake. It just takes one missile going astray. It just takes one misinterpretation of an act from one side and the other. And suddenly NATO's at war with Russia. And that's not going to be with slingshots and spears and javelins and swords, folks. It's going to be with nuclear weapons. And it will all get very hot very quickly. But look at the function of the mountain of the Lord's house. The mountain of the Lord's house being exalted above the nations is going to sort that because it says he'll judge between the nations, he'll rebuke many peoples. Look at the result. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Let me put another way to you in this technological age. They will use technology not to make weapons that can obliterate millions or thousands or whatever. They will use their technology to be a blessing in the earth. You see that? I'm excited about this Bible in time vision. Their nation shall not lift up sword against nation. Neither shall they learn war anymore. You know, you need to learn war. War is not something that you're born with. Yeah, we're born uh, with Adam's sin, every human is, but war has to be learned. You know, if you go to school and you're a wee boy, and sometimes if you're a wee girl, you need to learn to fight or get battered. Amen? And some wee boys learn that they've got a, a, a pension, a, a, a talent for battering other wee boys. And so they become bullies. Some of them don't. But, you know, the point is war has to be learned. And if it didn't have to be learned, the Bible wouldn't say, well, they won't learn it anymore. Why? Because there'll be too much peace. Can you think of how that would be if in this earth, this troubled earth, that's got wars raging all the time, there's so much peace that people forget how to wage war? Amen. Think about that. And, you know, nations are just like people that they can be bullies too. They can bully other nations. And I'm going to tell you something. I am a bigger patriot than probably all of you put together. But I say it, but my nation, my nation has been a bully nation. And so another bully nation is America. Okay? Um, and sometimes they justify that bullying. Anyway, I'm not, I'm not going to get into all that. The point I'm trying to say here is, when the mountain of the Lord's house comes in and is established on top of all the nations and all the nations float it and all the people are saying, let's go up there, let's go to church, let's go to hear that guy, Bill McMurdo. When they're saying that, here's what's going to happen. There won't be bully nations because nations shall not learn war anymore. You're only ever going to go to war for two reasons as a nation. And one is defense. And the second is to conquer a weaker nation. But if you don't learn war anymore, then you're not going to have that in your nation. Just like when you teach that wee boy that's a bully and bullying other weaker boys that that's the wrong thing to do and he accepts that. He don't want to, he don't want to bully anymore. Anyway, praise the Lord. Then it says, O house of Jacob, come. And let us walk in the light of the Lord. Walking in the light of the Lord, folks. That's what Scotland needs today. That's what the British Isles need today. All the component nations. Scotland needs England, Wales, Northern Ireland, Ireland, 
all the different parts of these islands and all the nations. They, we need to learn to walk in the light of the Lord. And, and look at something here. Something trying to get across to you. Whose responsibility is it to bring that to pass? The mountain of the Lord's house. And the mountain of the Lord's house is you and I. And every other believer. Amen? But look at this wonderful vision. And so, it's the mountain of the Lord's house that makes a difference. That is the game changer on planet Earth. And it should be... Now, that doesn't mean to say that we set up some kind of system whereby Christians dominate other people. You know, we're not going to be handing out rifles at the gathering. Amen? We're not going to start a militia. We're not going to stage a military coup. And we're not going to have, um, you know, uh, a, a religious uh, ecclesiocracy telling people that if you don't come to church, we're going to imprison you. Uh, we're going to torture you. We've had all that, haven't we? The Inquisition and other things. We've already had all these things. The church trying to run the world. It's not about running it in that way. Because I want to tell you, if you want to run the world today, the easiest place and the only God-ordained place to do that is on your knees in, in your prayer closet. And if God elevates you into a place or position of authority, then that's fine. But we're not about, um, we're about being salt and we're about being light. We're not about getting the, the, the rifles out and intimidating people. Does that make sense? We need to walk in the light of the Lord and the light of the Lord is you. In other words, the church is to be, Jesus said, a city set in a hill cannot be hid. You are the light of the world. So our authority comes in, at the throne of the Lord in the place of prayer, but it also comes um, through influence. Does that make sense? It comes through being influential. It comes through rather than, oh, we all have to be prime ministers and presidents. Well, it's enough to pray right now, for example, that our prime ministers and our presidents would have good Christians beside them, counseling them. That's how we wield power, if you want to do that. Through the influence, through the word, through being uh, advisors and counselors. Uh, and, I, and I believe that's the way. Now, it's not to say that, you know, see, America has an obsession with a born-again president. Our presidents must be born again. Well, folks, we tried that. We tried that. Listen, we don't need national leaders who are born again. We need national leaders who will obey the instruction of the Lord. Okay? That's the crack that they will do God's will. You can get somebody who's not born again who will do God's will. It's great to have men and women in positions of power who are born again. It's wonderful. But there are people out there who aren't born again, and they do more of the, God, the Lord's bidding than some of these so-called Christian politicians. Amen? All right. Let's turn to Isaiah chapter 52. Now, I, when we understand that the mountain of the Lord's house shall be established on the top of the mountains, how is God going to do that? Okay? Well, he'll do it in answer to prayer. We know that. And he'll give us strategies. But here is a strategy. And I want to teach you this strategy because just to share a little bit, I sometimes have problems or issues um, in ministry and life and so on and I'll go to the Lord and I'll say, Lord, give me an answer for this and I don't know how many times, umpteen times, umpteen times he said to me oh, Isaiah 52 verse 7 yeah that's the answer to your problem. I'm like, no, 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 you don't understand. Here's the specifics of my problem. And he'll go, Isaiah 52, verse 7. And I'll say, but that's got nothing to do with my problem. And you know what he says? Are you sure? 
Doesn't it? You know better than me, do you? You know? So, look at, let's just read the verses, familiar to all of us. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace, who brings glad tidings of good things, who proclaims salvation, who says to Zion, your God reigns, thy God reigneth. Okay? How beautiful, if you are bringing the good news, the gospel to people, then you should have beautiful feet. Amen? You don't need Dr. Skull. You don't need all the creams and the callus removers and the bunion, whatever. Because if you're preaching the gospel, you've got lovely feet. You've got beautiful feet. Amen? How beautiful upon the mountains. Again, he's not talking about doing Monroe's. He's not saying to you, get up Ben Ann tomorrow and preach the gospel from the top of that hill. He's not saying that. Why? Because there's hardly anybody there. He's not talking here about literal mountains. He's talking about mountains of culture. He's talking about mountains of power, mountains in the earth represented as nations, kingdoms, empires, powers. You know, like I said, Facebook is a mountain. Why? Lots of people congregate and it has great authority over people's lives. More than it should. He's saying you need to be upon the mountains to impact what those mountains represent and who is in those mountains. How beautiful upon the mountains are the feet of them, him that brings the gospel. The gospel is the thing that transforms society. Now you see, yes, amen. But folks, there's things about the gospel. I have to say this. I don't believe that we entirely understand the gospel. Because to us, when you say the gospel, getting people saved, getting people saved, getting people saved. That's not the gospel. Again, read the Bible. You see, let me just say this to you. We need to differentiate between the gospel and the results of the gospel. Amen? We need to differentiate between the tree and the fruit of the tree. Okay? We need to understand what the gospel actually is because it's not just uh, come to Jesus, Jesus loves you, what a friend we have in Jesus. They, these things are all true. They're all part of the gospel. They're all vital in the gospel, but they're not the actual gospel. And let me explain what I mean by that. I'll tell you what, what I'll, I'll, and then I'll explain it. Look, look at this. It says here, How beautiful one of us are the feet of him who brings good news, who proclaims peace. So this is Isaiah really saying what he said in Isaiah chapter 2 about how when the mountain of the Lord's house is established on the top of the other mountains, the result will be peace because nations shall not learn war. There'll be an abundance of peace. We don't understand peace. We think peace is the absence of conflict. We think if you're married, peace is my wife didn't shout at me this morning or she's speaking to me today. You know, it's not that. Peace is the atmosphere of heaven. The Bible says Jesus is the Prince of Peace. And it also says of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end. So peace is exponentially growing at all times. But it's connected to his government. You cannot have peace where Jesus isn't Lord. You cannot have peace in a society, in a culture, in an environment, 
in a church, in a ministry, in a family, in anything where Jesus isn't Lord. If Jesus isn't Lord in the place you work, there's no peace there. If Jesus isn't Lord in the church you worship in, there's no peace there. Okay? Peace is what Jesus brings by his presence, what the Holy Spirit brings by his presence, and where that's not opposed. Peace is the atmosphere of the kingdom. You go to heaven right now, and, and there'll be an overwhelming sense of peace because there's no opposition in heaven to anything God says or does. Amen? Thy will be done here on earth as it is in heaven. But what comes before that? Your kingdom come. You can't have peace without the kingdom. You can't have peace without the government of Jesus. Of the increase of his government and peace connected together, there shall be no end. So he's saying here, you need to proclaim peace. Remember when Jesus says you go into a town or you go into a house, should I say, and they don't listen to you, what does he say? Take your peace back and go with you. See, your peace, your peace, not just because your peace is part of his peace. Your peace is a piece of his peace. And you, you, you ought to take it with you. And you ought to, when you, I'm, I'm bringing my peace here, Lord. I'm bringing the peace of the kingdom. But then they don't want that peace. I'll take it back. I'm off. See you later. I'll wipe the soles of my feet. I'll do it biblically. Because you ought not go and scatter your peace everywhere where it's not welcome. Anyway, that's an, another message. Look at this. Who brings glad tidings of good things. Glad tidings of good things isn't, oh, the world's getting much worse. Oh, I just hope Jesus comes soon before the Antichrist destroys us all and runs over the top of us. This world's going to hell. That's not good tidings, is it? I tell you about good tidings. It's, oh, the mountain of the Lord's house. God is raising it up now. To be above all the other mountains. You see, you have, it's not, or you have to be a Pollyanna. It's not you have to have a uh, positive thinking. It's you have to have glad tidings of good things because his word is glad tidings of good things. Jesus is good news. The kingdom of God is good news. The Bible is good news. Church, when it's done right, is good news. It's glad tidings of good things. Not doom and gloom. Who proclaims salvation? You notice, we think the gospel is Jesus saves. But in God's word, that part of it is listed, but it's a way down. Here's why, and I'll explain it to you now. Who says to Zion, your God reigns. <coughs> The gospel is your God. Turn to Romans chapter 10. I'll show you this. Here's, here's what we need to see, folks. What is the gospel? Jesus saves. Yeah? Yeah, part of it, yeah. But that's not the gospel. We've just read the gospel, and here Paul elaborates on it. Romans chapter 10, verse 15. How shall they preach unless they are sent? As it is written, and then he quotes that we've just read, Isaiah 52. How beautiful are the feet of those who preach the gospel of peace, who bring glad tidings of good things. He quotes Isaiah 52, verse 7. Now, what, what does he miss out here? The gospel. He doesn't say the last bit, which is, who say to Zion, your God reigns. Because, let me explain this to you. Let's just say today you go to John Lewis and you buy something from John Lewis. 
and you take it home. It's an electrical thing. And you plug it in. Um, and I'll, I'll use a baking metaphor. It's the whisker. And you plug it in and nothing happens. So you check everything and it's not working. So you go in Monday, John Lewis, and I'm not bad-mouthing John Lewis, I'm just giving the example, okay? And you, but you say this store. You get into the store, you say, I bought this whisker and Saturday it's not working. And the, the sales assistant goes, and? And? But, well, can I get a replacement? No. That's not good news. What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Here's the question. Or let me just say, you say to the sales assistant, this is a better one. My whisker's not working. Can I get a replacement? I'd love to help you. If it was up to me, if it was my decision, if I could do it, I would give you a whisker to replace the one that didn't work. And what's more, I'd give you the upgraded model, but sorry, I can't help you. What's the first thing that comes out of your mouth? Who's in charge? Who's your boss? Get me somebody that can satisfy my need to get my whisker replaced. Is that what you call them, whisker? Yeah. See, the problem is that that sales assistant would love to help you. Her heart is to help you, but she doesn't have the authority. She doesn't have the power. And here's the good news of the gospel. It's not that somebody loves you and wants to help you and wants to bless you and wants to save you and wants to deliver you. That's not the good news. It's part of the good news. Of course it is. We have a savior. We have a Jesus who loves us. For God so loved the world. And Jesus loves me, this I know. And that's the gospel. I said it the other day. It's, it's the gospel to an extent, but it's only the gospel. It's only the good news because, not because he wants to, not because he's willing to, not because he loves us enough to, but because he has the authority to. The good news is that Jesus is Lord. The good news is the God who wants to save you doesn't just have good intentions. He has all power. It's El Shaddai. It's the Most High God. It's the Lord God Almighty. The one who loves you and wants to bless you and save you and give you new life and eternal life and bring you in Abraham's blessing. He has the authority and the power to do it. That's the good news. It's not good news when someone says to you, I'd love to help if only I could. We don't have a savior who says, I'd love to help if only. We have a Savior who's Lord. That's the good news. That's why Isaiah says, here's the good news, folks. And you ought to be spreading it. You ought to, you ought to be going all over the mountains, all over the kingdoms, all over the nations, and, and, and establishing God's kingdom on those nations by proclaiming the good news that your God reigns. You see, Paul did say Jesus is Lord. As part of this, he didn't say it in this verse. Because look at what happened here in Romans chapter 10. It says here, verse 8. What does it say? What does what say? The righteousness of faith. The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is the word of faith which we preach. Verse 9. That if you confess with your mouth the Lord Jesus or in most translations I believe if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God is raised from the dead you will be saved you see this is not the Roman road this is not the seven steps this is not oh you need to do all these things you need to tick all these boxes 
You just need to repent deeply enough. Oh, that wasn't deep enough. You need to go deeper. Folks, it's not all these steps to it. It's a simple declaration that you say with conviction, Jesus is Lord. And the Bible says that's enough to get you saved, to get you regenerated, to get you born again, to get you filled, to get God's spirit to come and live in you and take you from the old Adamic nature into the new creation in Christ and all the blessings that are part of that, they automatically and instantly become yours the very second you say, Jesus is Lord. Okay, not just Jesus is my homeboy, Jesus is my buddy, Jesus is my pal in the sky. None of those things, they're all true in a sense, but it's not about that. It's not Jesus loves me, it's not he wants to be my friend, all of these things. They're all part of the package. Salvation is part of the package. Of course it is. But it all happens when you hear the good news, Jesus is Lord, and you say, Jesus is Lord. And that's what we were singing earlier, isn't it? That we, we proclaim him Lord. We, we confess with our mouths, he is Lord. We bow the knee to that name. Because the good news is, see, a lot of people out there, and we all know them, we've all met them, and, and some of them actually are Christians in the sense that they've made a commitment, and I believe they've been born again, but they don't live what I would call lordship life. Jesus is not, I heard a guy the other day, uh, a, a wonderful man of God, um, and, and he wrote that hymn without him, the eldest sang, Myron Lefebvre, he's just recently died, wonderful guy. And he was confessing, he said, as a young man, God gave him great success because Elvis recorded that song. Without him, I can do nothing. A wonderful song. And he wrote that, I think he was 17 or something, just a boy. And he made tons of money from it. And God blessed him. But he backslid. And here's, here's what he said. And I thought, oh, this, is, this sums up what I'm talking about. He says, I gave him my sins but I didn't give him my life. So there are a lot of Christians out there. You know, Jesus is their pal. And there are a lot of people out there on the street who aren't saved, aren't born again, aren't regenerated. They're, they're, they're still part of the Adamic kingdom. And if you say, oh, I love Jesus. Jesus. Jesus is great. I like the things he said. Folks, the gospel isn't that Jesus is a nice guy. The gospel isn't that Jesus loves you. The gospel isn't that, you know, he has great intentions. The gospel isn't, well, you know, Jesus said some fine things. What a teacher he was. The gospel is this. He's Lord. And the minute you make him Lord of your life, or, or you receive him as Lord, you don't make him, you receive him as Lord of your life. The minute that happens, then you step into what we were saying earlier on. In the name, you step into his presence you step into his identity. You're no longer what your identity was before you were saved. Your identity now is Christ. You're not who you used to be. And you're not that old Adamic, um, those old Adamic programs that you're carrying around with you. You are in Christ. That's your identity now, is Christ. And when you say Jesus is Lord, that has the power to regenerate your human spirit and translate you from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of the son of his love. And folks, that's the message. The Bible makes it clear. He says, in the last days, the mountain of the Lord's house is going to go above all the other nations. But I want to say this to you. If we take a diluted message, good news message. For example, Jesus said, Spirit of the Lord God is upon me because he's anointed me to preach good news to the poor. Amen? But I hear a lot of gospel messages that aren't good news to a poor man. If your gospel isn't good news to a poor man, it ain't the gospel. See, we dilute the gospel by telling people that Jesus loves them, wants to save them, wants to be the pal, wants to be the cosmic guru, whatever it is, some kind of version of that but what we don't say to them, and I know there's a whole bunch of folk out there that speak about what they call lordship salvation, and I agree with them to an extent. What, what, what Really what I'm saying is, if your Christian message, your gospel, sharing with folks, doesn't have this aspect to it, then you're missing the heart of the gospel. 
because I'm more interested in people who have good intentions towards me. I'm interested in people who can deliver those good intentions. And we treat Jesus sometimes, I know you love me, Lord. I know you've saved me, and one day I'll be with you in heaven. But I know you can't solve this problem. Then if that's true, he isn't Lord. But I want to tell you today, he is Lord. And the message Scotland needs to hear today, the message Britain needs to hear today, the message America needs to hear today, the message Russia needs to hear today, the message that the nations need to hear today and the people of those nations is not Jesus wants to be your homeboy. Jesus wants to cuddle you and make you feel better about your miserable life. The message is this, Jesus is Lord and he will take you from darkness into light and he will take you from failure into success and he will take you from sickness into health and healing. We need the gospel, folks. And the gospel has to come with authority. And the only authority God will grant to you and I and anybody is this, the lordship of Christ manifest in our lives. Because if he ain't Lord, you ain't saved. You're just convincing yourself that you have a relationship with God that guarantees you eternal life insurance. But I want to tell you today, there's no if about it. He is Lord. Amen. And your eternal life is founded and grounded in that. So we need to understand the message to the mountains and the message that will lift us above the mountains, which is the nations, the kingdoms, the empires of this earth. The message that will elevate us. And it's not about being elevated so we can lord it over people. That's not what he's talking about. But he's talking about having the authority over the nations. The only way that will come is the gospel. And the only way that that will come is the true gospel message, which is Jesus is Lord. Our God reigns. The old covenant way of saying it was to Israel, your God reigns, you know. God is still on the throne. And he will remember his own. We used to sing that song. Here's the thing, folks. In the New Testament, Paul says, here's how you get saved. Jesus is Lord. Confess it. Here's the tragedy. We understand that to an extent when it comes to individual salvation, don't we? Well, I made Jesus Lord of my life in 1972. I gave my heart to the Lord Jesus. Way back in whatever. And I, yes, he became Lord of my life. Jesus as Lord should be something that never escapes our lips, is never out of our lips. We should be speaking it into every situation. You've got a problem in your life? Jesus is Lord. You've got a health issue? Jesus is Lord. You've got a relationship issue? Jesus is Lord. See, that's why God kept saying to me, and does keep saying to me, Isaiah 52 verse 7. In other words, what's your preaching and what's coming out of your mouth will change any situation, but you have to be preaching good news. You have to be preaching your God reigns. You have to be preaching Jesus is Lord. You have to be saying to unbelievers and to believers, you know, Jesus is Lord. God's still on the throne. God is in control. It's not just a wee trite, glib way of handling problems. It's the reality Scotland doesn't need to hear Jesus wants to be your best pal. Scotland needs to hear Jesus is Lord. And in his person and in his body and in him is the answer to every human problem and every human need. And it's not because he's full of love for you, but he is. But it's because he has the authority and the power to get the job done. Amen? Just like when you take your whisker back to the shop, you don't want to speak to somebody that would love to help you, but I don't have the authority to sign off on that. Well, get me somebody who does. That's the good news. I found a manager. I found a supervisor. This person can go and get the new whisker out the back of the shop and give it to you and take your old. They will trade your old useless whisker is it a whisker? Is that what you call it? Mixer. Mixer. The other thing that whisks. Mixer. Maybe that's why it didn't work, because I was calling it a whisker. They will take your old rubbish mixer and trade it for a new one. 
He will take your old rubbish life and trade it for a new one. And here's the good news. This is why it's going to be on top of all the nations. He doesn't just do it for individuals. He'll do it for nations. He'll do it for Scotland. I believe it all my heart. God, Scotland is precious to the Lord. And you say, well, look at what a godless nation we've become. Yeah, we've become a godless nation because the devil knows God's purpose for this land of destiny here in Scotland. So he's thrown everything at destroying us. How beautiful on the mountains are the feet of those who preach the gospel. You see, when you proclaim the Lordship of Christ, here's what breaks out peace. You know, when Jesus is Lord in your home, there's peace there, isn't there? Sometimes that's why it's better to live alone. Amen. This is Jesus and me through all life's so <laughs> No, I'm not saying go out and get divorced and go out and I'm not saying that. Or kick your kids out of the house. That would be that would bring peace, wouldn't it? But folks, when Jesus is Lord in a house, in a school, in a building, in an institution, in an organization, in a church, in a government, in a community, in a nation. Peace is the result. There's an outbreak of peace when Jesus is Lord and when Jesus is proclaimed to be Lord. And that we ought to be proclaiming Jesus is Lord over Scotland. I want to tell you right now, the one thing that you'll make the devil scream is if you say repeatedly, Jesus is Lord over Scotland. Because he hates, he hates that very notion. And there are, there's a couple of a wee nuance to that as well. Sometimes in an organization, you have somebody who wields an iron fist. Amen? They rule through, and, you know, through sheer force of power. But they're not loved. And that person, you could say, he's the boss over that place. No question. Nobody dares. Okay, but here's the difference with Jesus. Jesus is Lord over Scotland. But we want not just him to be Lord over Scotland. We want him to be Lord of Scotland. In other words, that people want him to be their Lord. You see, you can rule over something or you can, you can rule because the people love you being their leader. Amen? So, we have to proclaim Jesus as Lord over Scotland, but we also have to proclaim he's Lord of Scotland. Because being Lord of Scotland is the destiny, amen, of this, of our Saviour. To be Lord over this nation and to be Lord of this nation, to be beloved by its people. I'm getting excited preaching this, but we're going to bring it to a close very quickly. Now, um, I want to just show you something else. Very quickly, in Isaiah chapter 11. And we're talking about mountains. The last days, the Lord's, the mountain of the Lord's house is going to be over every other mountain. Amen. Isaiah chapter 11, just look at this very quickly. It's very similar to what we've been looking at. There shall come forth a rod from the stem of Jesse, a branch shall grow out of his roots. The spirit of the Lord shall rest upon him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, and so on, counsel might. Let's just go down to, and then it talks about what the effect of this one will do. And the willful girl, the lamb, the leopard will lie down with the young goat, and the calf and the young lion. In other words, peace will break out. Peace will break out on the earth because of the Savior. Now watch this, verse 9. They shall not hurt nor destroy in all my holy mountain. Same thing, they'll beat their swords into plowshares. Yeah? In other words, peace is going to break out with this person, 
with this king, with this saviour. They'll not hurt or destroy in all my holy mountain. In other words, what he's saying is my mountain will be the source of peace and blessing and love and goodwill. Why? For the earth shall be full of the knowledge of the Lord as the waters cover the sea. Notice this wonderful promise. I love this promise. It's in several scriptures, actually. But this one here in Isaiah, he connects it with the mountain of the Lord. You see, when the mountain of the Lord is established in all the other mountains, then peace and, and the, the knowledge of the glory and the knowledge of God and just... In other words, the, as the waters cover the sea, have you ever been out in the sea in a boat and you look down at the waters and that's all you see is dark waters covering as far as the eye can see. Do you know the Bible tells us that the glory of the Lord and the knowledge of his glory will cover the earth just like the waters cover the sea. Not just, oh, there's a wee church in that street. They preach a good message. Oh, in this dark city. Oh, you know, if we can just find a place where we can we can huddle together and feel a wee bit comfort in each other till the Lord comes back. No, folks. No. The knowledge of the glory is going to flood Tharson Street. Then, and think about it. Look how steep and high the hill is. If it's going to cover Tharson Street, it's going to have to be very deep. If it's going to cover some of those places in Glasgow or Edinburgh or Aberdeen or London or San Francisco where there's real darkness, it's just going to flood that darkness with glory. And it's all going to come from the mountain, the holy mountain of the Lord, from Zion, from the place where God dwells. Let me tell you, if you think God dwells way up in the heavens and that's the only place he dwells, folks, he dwells here. He dwells in you. He dwells in me. He dwells in Zion and the earth, just as he dwells in heaven. All we have to do is open the floodgates and let him out. Amen. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. Did you notice in that scripture of Jesus, and bring this to a close, did you notice in that scripture, he never said, but they'll dry up. If rivers of living water are flowing from each and every one of us, how long will it take to flood the earth as the waters cover the sea? See, what we've done is, we've turned the faucet off. We've turned the tap. And we've limited what we pour out to our church meetings. Well, when I go into church, I'm going to worship the Lord. Oh, shakarabasoto. Oh, I love you, Jesus. I love you, Jesus. Oh, thank you. We turn the faucet off. We turn the tap off. Now, I'm not saying you should get into Asa tonight. Oh, Rabbi Sunday. I'm not saying that. But keep the tap flowing. Out of your belly shall flow rivers of living water. What happens to rivers? They all end up in the sea. And the knowledge of the glory of the Lord shall cover the earth as the waters cover the sea. In other words, keep your tap open at all times. I don't know about you, but I need it. And we're all, we're all conscious of when we turn our tap off, aren't we? Ah, well, I can't be bothered. Oh, you know, you know, I'm, I'm in a huffy her. I'm not talking to her. I'm just going to sit and watch some telly. Get, get, get the telly on. Watch a good horror movie. Folks, there ain't no flow when you're watching Scream 4. You understand? Or Emmerdale. Or any of that junk. Anyway, praise the Lord, we'll leave it there. Let me just check how long I've spoke for here. Oh, another 45 minutes at least. Praise the Lord, folks. Well, let's just pray and we'll close this off and then we'll get into a wee time of prayer for a few minutes and respond to this. But understand this, the mountain of the Lord's house. The mountain of the Lord's house isn't something that's going out there that's going to float down and happen. The mountain of the Lord's house is you and I. We are that mountain. We are his house. The Bible says, whose house are we? Christ, whose house are we? We are that house. 
And we're supposed to have our feet upon all the other mountains and all the other houses and all the other powers on the earth. Anyway, I'm preaching again. Let's just pray. Father, we thank you for your word. And we pray, O oh God, that you will show us who we are. Give us, uh, show us our identity, Lord. Show us our purpose, our destiny to be the Lord's house for anyone to visit and come. And Lord, not just that, but Lord, to be exalted above the hills, to, to be raised above every other mountain in the earth. Lord, not because of how wonderful we are, but because of how wonderful you are. And that wonderful one that lives in us, greater is he that is in us. And Lord, let that be seen. Let that be experienced by everybody that touches our lives so that they will say, you have the answer. Lord, not that we have the answer, but we have the one who is the answer in us. And Lord, let that not just be for individuals, but for communities and organizations and kingdoms and nations, Father, who desperately need this word, desperately need the wisdom of the Holy Spirit and the counsel of your precious word. Give us that, Lord, that we can walk with that and carry that. Give that to everyone here today. Lord, let that sit upon us as a mantle and let us display the mountain of the Lord's house everywhere we go. In the precious name of Jesus, amen.